Hi, and welcome to The Whispered System, where whispers are hushed but never still. Hello everyone, my name is Amanda, I'm 31 years old, and I have DID. DID stands for Dissociative Identity Disorder, formerly known as Multiple Personality Disorder. The reason I decided to do this podcast is sort of to chronicle my journey through this diagnosis and also as a way to sort of let my friends and family learn and get to know my other parts at their own pace. I don't want to force them to learn and become comfortable with this before they're ready. Only seven of my parts have decided to do the podcast. Not everyone's comfortable really expressing themselves on here. And since this is all about everyone's comfort, that includes my other parts. So to start, I'm going to tell you a little bit about some terms that you're going to be hearing throughout this podcast. And I'm going to tell you what those terms mean. I'll start with the word system. System is when multiple people inhabit one brain. So we call ourselves the whispered system. Whispered is a reference to a poem that I wrote about secrets being revealed. We felt it was kind of fitting. Um, It's also a good way to really explain DID in the brain because if you think of the brain as a system and all the others and myself as cogs in the system, then it explains how we all have to be our best selves in working together to keep the system up and running smoothly. It's also a good way to represent that all the cogs have to be working together. They're all just as important as the other and that they all have their own jobs. Now, the next term is host. The host of a system is the one who is in the front the most. The analogy that I've heard often is that if you think of your body as a car, whoever is in the driver's seat of the body the most would be considered the host. I, Amanda, am the host of our system. The next term I want to explain is front or fronting. Whoever is in the driver's seat at that point in time is fronting. So if I'm not in the driver's seat and somebody else is, that person is in the front. I'm still the host, I'm just not in front right now. Um, Next is the word parts. We use parts instead of alters. Alters is the technical term though. It is the word used to describe the quintessential different personalities. We don't like the term personalities because of all the negative stigma attached to it. We don't mind the term alter, but it really feels kind of clinical and detached. So we prefer to call each other parts. There are some more terms, but uh, they are kind of the other parts roles in our system. And I decided I would let them explain their role and what that title means. So I suppose I should tell you a little bit about myself, Um, and from there I'll go into how a person gets DID. 
As I said earlier, my name is Amanda and I'm 31. I'm the host of our system. I'm married with two kids. No, I did not know that I had DID when I got married, so he didn't know either. For us, this is a very recent diagnosis. It happened in September of 2020. It has been a very hard journey for all of us. My husband took the diagnosis really hard and wasn't sure that he could accept us like this. It took months of work on himself and even him meeting a few of our other parts before he sort of gained a bit of comfortability with my DID. Once he realized um, after meeting and interacting with some of my other parts that I wasn't any different than how he'd always known me, it, it sort of made him a bit more comfortable. Like he was kind of like, oh, I know this. I know this part. I've dealt with this before. I can handle this. So I think it was the idea of multiple people in one brain and not knowing them and not knowing what to expect that was really uncomfortable for him. And once he realized that he'd already been dealing with this for years, it wasn't so scary anymore. My husband is also another reason I wanted to do this podcast because when I first got diagnosed and was out there looking for help, uh, I ran into a lot of stories of all these super immediately accepting spouses and I couldn't really find anybody who knew really what to do to help me or to give me advice on how to approach this with my husband because nobody really had any experience with an unsupportive spouse. And once my husband kind of got on board, I was like, well, maybe this is something that other people might need. Other people might be experiencing having an unsupportive significant other. And I kind of wanted to put my story out there because I felt really alone during that time. And I just wanted to kind of let, for one, other people know that they're not alone. And for two, I wanted to be able to put my story out there so that there would be some advice in there. And the best advice I can give to anybody who is having a struggle with somebody who is just absolutely refusing to accept it, because my husband flat out told me, I cannot accept you this way at one point. So if anybody else hearing this has experienced this, my best advice is patience. <laughs> it took my husband a good solid four months to reach a place where he felt like he could accept this. Obviously, we are still dealing with it and there's still parts of this that are uncomfortable to him. And honestly, there are parts of it that are uncomfortable for me even. Even I have a hard time with the reality of the situation. I just have moments where I'm like, oh wow, this is my life now. And I know that ultimately this is a step in helping me and my system be the best version of us that we can be. I can only reach a place of healing through finding out that I have DID and honestly that's all I really want for all of us. I am very well aware that this is not an easy diagnosis to come to terms with. That is another reason I wanted to do a podcast. I figured it would really help me to be able to, for one, put the information out there for my friends and family in a way that wasn't me shoving it down their 
throats, you know, it wasn't me just sh constantly shoving DID in their faces every time I saw them or talked to them. This way, it was at their own leisure of learning. Um, to anybody listening, one of the things I do want to make sure I say is take your time with this. Don't overwhelm yourself trying to find acceptance. Go slowly. My therapist likes to tell me that this is a marathon, not a sprint. So take your time. Um, some more about me. Uh, I'm a reader. I love to read. Anything I find interesting, I will read it, read up on it and learn as much as I can about it. Um, also down for a really good romance novel. <laughs> I'm a writer. I write books and poetry. I'm a huge fan of spoken word poetry. So I tend to lean towards writing things of that nature. And as I said, because I love a good romance, generally all of my writing has a nice little love story tacked on. I also have sort of been collecting throughout the years some of my chosen family members, if you will. I have a few actual family members that I'm close with, but there are also some blood relatives I have had to kind of put up boundaries with for my own system's mental health. You see, someone gets DID by experiencing extreme and repeated amounts of trauma before or during the ages of seven through nine. Basically, the brain starts experiencing the traumatic events and says, we literally cannot survive with the memories of this. So it takes that part of you that experienced the trauma and walls it off from the current host at the time. So based on that info, I'm sure you can imagine that I have some family that I am estranged with. The next thing I want to talk about, though, is some of the common misconceptions about DID. The first one being how rare DID is. While statistically DID only affects 1-3% to of the world population and that does make it rare, that is still approximately the same number of people in the world with ginger hair and bipolar disorder. So when spoken about like that, it really shows that it's much more common a diagnosis than the world would have you believe. The second misconception that I would like to talk about is that people with DID are violent. While that makes for some binge-worthy TV, <laughs> that's statistically inaccurate. People with DID are no more likely to be violent than the general population. Someone with DID is not prone to violence. Um, the numbers have actually shown that someone with DID is actually more likely to be re-victimized than they are to victimize someone else. So sure, a DID serial killer makes for a really good fictional character, but that's just what it is, fiction. Um, the next misconception is DID is the same as schizophrenia. These are actually two completely unrelated diagnoses. DID is a trauma response, and schizophrenia is a combination of genetics, environment, and brain chemistry. The example um, I would give is my kids are not statistically more likely to get DID because I have it. But if I had schizophrenia instead, my kids would be genetically predisposed to suffering from a schizophrenic break at some point in their life. So that is what I mean when I say that 
DID is a trauma response and schizophrenia is a combination of genetics, environment, and brain chemistry. Now, the fourth misconception is that DID is obvious. People seem to be under the impression that if they know someone with DID, they would be able to tell. But DID is by design made to be covert. If even the host doesn't know that they have it, no one else around them is going to be able to tell either, I promise. DID is all about keeping secrets, even from the person that they happen to. So DID is actually the opposite of obvious. The next misconception is that DID is the splitting into multiples. All of the most recent studies have actually shown that everyone on Earth is born dissociated. It isn't until around ages 7 through 9 that the mind integrates into a singular personality. So when trauma happens before that integration, DID is formed. So it isn't the splitting into multiples, it is actually the failure to integrate into a singular. The sixth misconception that I want to clear up is that DID isn't real. I have actually had people tell me that I don't have it because this isn't real. I have heard professionals that don't believe in it as well. But the fact of the matter is that it is in the DSM-5, which is the most recent and up-to-date diagnostic manual. It has been recognized as a legitimate diagnosis for over 32 years now, and even before that, there is a long history of people fighting for this to be a real diagnosis. And honestly, take it from somebody who has it, this has turned my entire life upside down. I can't imagine somebody just waking up and deciding to fake all the things that I've experienced and gone through so far. I don't even know if that's possible. I mean, if, I'm, if I was that good at acting, I promise you I would be famous in Hollywood right now, okay? Like, there's no way that I have that kind of ability. The last misconception I want to talk about is one that I'm sure some of my family members listening are already wondering about and thinking, and that is that people with DAD are not capable of functioning in normal society and cannot take care of children. I've been a mother for almost 10 years now, eight of which I was a stay-at-home mom. That means I had DID the entire time. I have always had DID since I was a small child. So for eight of the 10 years that I've been a mother, I was a stay-at-home mom with DID. I just didn't know it. Before I was a mother, when I was a teenager, I was even a babysitter for a number of years. I actually went and they held classes to become a baby, like to be a certified babysitter, where they taught you CPR and how to do the Heimlich maneuver on a small child and even an infant. And I was certified for a while to even perform CPR because of that. So I am 100% capable of taking care of children. Everyone in my system is completely on board and in 100% agreement that my kids are the number one priority of all of us. We would never, absolutely never do anything that would put them in any sort of harm's way. That's not how DID works. DID is all a defense mechanism. It is for protection and survival. There is no way that my parts 
would let like a five-year-old front while in the middle of driving and taking care of my kids like something like that would never happen we are all on top of that there isn't anything in this world that I wouldn't do for my children so if there was even the slightest possibility that I could harm them physically or mentally because of my DID I promise you I would take the steps that I needed to be taken to protect them and Honestly, if anything were to make me unstable and incapable of taking care of my children, it would be my depression and anxiety, which is something that most of the world suffers from and raises children with on the daily. So that would be what would be more likely to make me unstable, not my DID. As for my capability to function in society, here's what I will tell you. When my youngest went into school last year, I rejoined the workforce, okay? I worked in retail at a store within one year of during that time and within this year my emotional state was probably at its worst it is also within this year that I was diagnosed with DID I reached assistant manager and have been recommended multiple times to have my own store so that means I would be in charge of running a store the money the customers the staff so I'm pretty sure if I'm qualified to run an entire store as a manager that makes me pretty functioning so I guess the next thing I want to talk about is kind of how I came to this diagnosis uh, when I was 13 is when I first sought out um, mental health professionals and I was diagnosed with severe depression and severe anxiety from there, I was in and out of therapy, on and off multiple different medications, and given multiple different diagnoses. That all happened from ages 13 through 18. When I was 18, I was removed from my parents' insurance, and as I was in college, I didn't have a job at the time, so I wasn't, um, I had no insurance of my own. So. I just stopped going to therapy and quit all my meds and honestly at the time I felt like I was in a okay place where I could do that. I didn't have to get back on medication until after my second child was born in 2013 and that is when uh, I just couldn't bounce back after the postpartum. It hit me so hard there was, I just couldn't do it and it just kind of jump-started all of my depression and anxiety right back into gear and it got to a point where I recognized that I needed some help so I sought out um, to get onto an antidepressant from my primary care physician and that helped me for a little while until about maybe a year later when a good friend had to actually pull me aside and was like, look, your depression is getting worse. It's getting scary and you, you know, you're scaring me. I'm worried about you. I think you need to seek out some therapy. And so I did that. At that point, I met the woman who would then diagnose me with uh, PTSD due to, surprise, surprise, childhood trauma. And she began EMDR therapy with me. That helped me significantly um, with processing my traumas that I did remember. 
she was amazing. We worked together for four years. There was probably some clear signs of my dissociation that she was aware of, but I was very aware of what dissociation was and adamant that it wasn't something that I did. I think she could tell that the term itself made me nervous, so she never brought it up. After four years with her, though, she had decided to leave the place that she was working and open up her own practice somewhere else. And unfortunately, I was unable to follow her to her practice. It was not a feasible option. So she then set me up with um, somebody she thought that would be a good fit in that office. And upon meeting that lady, we worked um, maybe three times together before an unexpected opportunity for her to open her own practice opened up. And she offered to take me with her and it was within my means for me to continue with her. But as I didn't really know her that well, and I was already an established patient at the other facility, I decided to stay where I was. She tried to set me up with somebody whose schedule really conflicted with mine, and it became obvious that we were not going to be able to work something out for me to see that lady. And so she told me that since she had never really met me, that I needed to go through the intake lady when you first start attending at this facility. So I had to call the intake lady and get set up with her. But before I could even do that, <laughs> COVID-19. So COVID hit and everywhere kind of shut down for a while. And I mean, at that point I was like, I felt like I had reached a really good place. I was doing really well after all my work that I had done with my um, four-year therapist and all the EMDR, we had processed so many traumas and so much, I felt like I was in a really good place. And I was actually kind of wondering if there was a way for me to be able to maybe not need therapy anymore, <laughs> which is laughable now. <laughs> um, so during the shutdown and quarantine of everything, I was still considered an essential worker, so I still had to work. And I thought that I was okay, but I noticed after maybe a few weeks that I was declining. I started having really bad lapses in my memory and extreme moments of forgetfulness. I would stand up and I would start to do something like get my kids their lunch and in the middle of it I would completely forget what I was doing and have no idea and I would have to be reminded um, my kids would be like mommy you were getting me lunch <laughs> and I was like oh okay thank you and then I was having some really intense mood swings to the point that it was really debilitating the mood swings were really debilitating like I would just go from zero to a hundred and then just be sobbing for an hour. It was awful. I had no control of it. There was it was so outside my control that I could not I could not grasp it. And I was having these headaches. And I had always had like off and on migraines, I would say, since maybe I was nineteen. 
but they were becoming a lot more consistent. And then while at work one day, I had a very triggering experience. I was confronted with something very scary and it caused me to essentially switch, which is where one of my other parts comes out. And it happened so fast and so quickly that it was very obvious to me for the first time. I was screaming for my body in my head to do one thing and say something and my body was saying and doing something else instead. And that's the first time that I had ever been aware of me not being in the driver's seat. It was really scary. It was really, it really threw me. And it was an hour before I was back in the driver's seat of my body. And at that point, when I left work, I called my mom up hysterical because it had been so scary for me and so overwhelming. And I didn't tell her that I hadn't been in control of my body. I thought that that would make me sound insane. So I was really afraid to divulge that, but I did tell her what had been so triggering and what had happened. And she really felt like it was a good idea and made the suggestion that I try to seek getting back into therapy, especially since I was experiencing such extreme mood swings and then falling apart the way that I had and just experiencing something so traumatic at work that she really felt strongly that it was a good idea for me to get back into therapy. And so I took her up on that advice. I, I heard it, I processed it, and decided that she was right. And I called and I set up an appointment with the intake lady. Now, all I told the intake lady when she asked me what kind of therapist I was looking for, I told her I was looking for somebody who was licensed to do, to do EMDR and somebody who was good with childhood traumas. That was all I had said. So she told me, you know, because of COVID that it may take a little while to get back to me and get me a good fit, but she was on it. And so at that point, I started scouring the internet trying to find any information about what was happening to me. And I did actually stumble upon DID by accident. <laughs> like I watched one video of something on YouTube that led me to another video of somebody with DID. And I remember watching it and ticking off all the boxes of stuff that ha I had been experiencing and being like, that's, that's not it. I, I don't dissociate. I'm, I'm, I absolutely do not have DID. There's no way. So I was completely adamant that that was not what it was. When I did finally get in with my current therapist now, I went in there and I laid it all out on the table for her. And I even told her to her face, this professional, <laughs> I told, there is no way that this is what I have. I do not have DID. I promise you. And she was like, okay, and bless this woman. She saw how completely uncomfortable it made me. And she went, all right, fine. And we'll just take that completely off the table. It's not even a possibility. And it wasn't until a few months later that I became much more comfortable with it and the idea of it that she was like, okay, so remember that thing that we took off the table? It might be time to take it and put it back on. Then she explained to me that she had 
absolutely met and been in contact with some of my other parts and that it was becoming abundantly clear that I did have dissociative identity disorder. So that's kind of my DID journey up until now. Um, I've been learning and getting to know my other parts through lots of journaling, lots of post-it notes, and lots of <sighs> therapy. <laughs> the only thing I can say now is to my friends and family that are listening to this, um, if you have any questions, please reach out. I encourage questions. I want you to ask questions. I want to answer them for you. I am more than happy to do that. And the other thing that I want to say is have patience with me, with yourself. Don't go scouring the internet looking for answers and scaring yourself the way I did. Don't take media's complete misrepresentation of what dissociative identity disorder is as fact. It's not. It's a load of fiction. And I guess if you enjoyed this, please let me know, and um, I hope that you'll come back for the next one. So, bye!